to start in the very beginning. And, you know, I want to, I don't just want to give you um, just another study on worship. It might feel that way, but I want to maybe portray it to you in a way that you haven't heard. I've read a lot of different books on worship, and none of them would ever really, like, sit quite right with me. They all felt like they were just kind of missing the mark. You know, they, they didn't get to the point of the fact that Jesus is in the center of it all, you know. And so I want to kind of portray that to you this morning. And so I'm calling this the reality of worship that God desires. And I want you to see what kind of worship God is really looking for. You know, what's expected of you when you show up on a Sunday morning to worship. And so I'm going to start in the beginning with Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. I love that verse because we have, really the creation is in two chapters. That's it. That's all we have on the creation. And I imagine it's probably because the guy who wrote it wasn't there. You know, he probably didn't have as much to say about it. He just knew what he was told. And, but I love this one verse gives us the placement of man. So it tells us, okay, God made man, and this is where he wanted him. And then it also tells us the purpose of man. So this is where God wants man, and this is what God wants man to do. All right, so it says that God put man in the Garden of Eden. He put him there. That word put in Hebrew, I'm not even going to try pronouncing the Hebrew words, but the, the word in Hebrew, it literally means to rest. And when that Hebrew word is used throughout the rest of the Bible, it describes God's desire to have a resting place among men. And so what we could call that is a sanctuary, right? Not just a room like this, but the sanctuary, the dwelling place of the manifest presence of God. That's where God made Adam, and he said, I'm putting you in my sanctuary where my presence will dwell with you always. And it's, it says he's in the Garden of Eden. That word Eden means pleasure. It literally means the greater pleasures of God, right? We, we have a lot of counterfeit pleasures in the world today. And when I say that, I don't want you to... A lot of times when we say pleasure, like, um, there have been times when I was a youth leader, uh, we would sing songs, and in the songs they'd talk about pleasure, and a lot of the kids would get real uncomfortable with that. They're like, pleasure? Because we always associate that with something sexual, and I, I want to break that. It's, it's, it doesn't only mean that. There is that good pleasure, but... The pleasures of God, just to experience his emotions and his personality, because he's a person, right? We treat the Holy Spirit like we can just like waft him around, but he's a person. He's a real guy. So is Jesus. He's a real man. The Father, it's a real man. They have emotions. And so when they're designing the world, they design it in a certain way because of what they want. They desire something. And so he makes a garden that where literally man can dwell with God together and just experience each other's pleasures, to just enjoy each other. Every single one of us was made, God made us to want to be enjoyed. He made us to want to, to be enjoyed. We want people to enjoy us, and we look to people to fulfill that, and you'll never find fulfillment in that because God made it so that he can touch that in you. That's how it was supposed to be in the garden, that God would touch us in the areas that we so long for. And so man is, he's placed in the sanctuary of the pleasures of God. So that's where we have the placement. And then the purpose, it says he was put there to tend it and to keep it. Now, when we talk about cultivating a garden, 
most of us, we just think of, you know, in today's terms, okay, so Adam, you know, he trimmed the shrubs and he watered it and, you know, okay, cool, God, like, why'd you make man to just take care of a garden? But you have to remember, this is before the fall. There's no death. The, the, nothing's going to die, like, if Adam doesn't water it. It is going to live, it's supposed to live forever. So when we look at the Hebrew word for tend, it literally means to work and to serve. And when it's used throughout the rest of the Bible, it describes the, the Levitical priesthood. It describes a priestly service. So God makes man and says, here, dwell in my sanctuary where you can experience my pleasures and serve me. The word keep, it means to guard and to observe, to keep watch. It's later used to describe the watchmen, right? We know about the watchmen on the walls of Israel. They watched out for, you know, attacks. or They were there to protect, protect Israel. And so God, again, he says, okay, man, here you go. I'm putting you in the sanctuary of, of where my manifest presence is going to dwell with you so that we can enjoy one another, you can experience the pleasures that I have for you, and you can serve me, you can worship me as we get to know one another, and you can keep watch over the sanctuary. Guard it. Don't let anything come between you and I, Adam. That's basically what he told him. He said, this is your purpose. Serve me, experience my pleasures, worship me, and keep guard. And we know that he didn't do very well at keeping guard, <laughs> he, right? Sin entered the world, and we have the fall. But so man is literally made to dwell in the sanctuary of God. That's what we were made for. That's man's purpose. We have a lot of callings now, and they're good callings. I'm not, please understand, I'm not saying that everything else is bad and worship is the only good thing. I'm just, I want to highlight worship specifically this morning. Don't misquote me and say, Hannah said we can't do anything else but worship. That's not what I'm saying, but this is what we were made to do. We were not made to evangelize. God didn't put man on the earth and say, okay, evangelize. There's no sin. There's no death, right? Man wasn't made to do that. Man was made to worship God. And so the Adam, remember, he has no sin. He lacks nothing. He doesn't have a history of petitioning God. How many of you have a history of petitioning God? You ask him for things, right? You have a history of that. Adam has no history of that. He has no understanding of that. Why? Because he literally lacks nothing. He is in the midst of the pleasures of God. He has everything he needs. So his foundation, his understanding of, okay, God, you've put me here to worship you, his understanding of how to worship is simply God. That's it. Majority of the church, when they come to worship, our reason for worshiping is because God has done something for us. We worship because he, he did something, and he does awesome things, and I'm thankful for that. I'm not saying we can't have times of thanksgiving and rejoicing and praise, but worship, the core, the meaning of worship is simply God. It's an, it should be enough of a reason we should say, God, I'm going to worship you because you're God. Not, God, I'm going to worship you because you died on a cross. I'm thankful that he did that, and it's, it's good to be thankful for that and to recognize that, acknowledge what the Lord has done. But when it's time to worship, we say, Lord, I'm going to worship you because you're God, and that's it. That's Adam's foundation for worship before the fall. And so I have this quote. It's by a guy named Stephen Venable. He's a, 
awesome teacher, and I've taken classes from him um, on worship and on prayer and things like that. And I, he just has this quote that I just love. It says, We are compelled to worship in response to who he is. And the goal of worship is that who he is would be celebrated and magnified. The only basis for Adam's worship was the beauty and majesty of the one before him. And the goal of his priestly service was simply to esteem and laud his great worth. That's all Adam knew. All Adam knew was, I look at you, my heart is overwhelmed by your beauty, and I overflow with love towards you. That's all Adam knew. He didn't know, you know, I'm messed up, and, you know, you do these nice things for me, and so I worship you. That wasn't his basis for it. It was simply, he was in love with God. And so this is God's desire. This is what he wants. This is what he's established for us. But in order to get to that place in America, we are such consumers. When, you know, in everything we do, we're such consumers. And it's, even in the kingdom, we want things to be about us. And again, another quote from this um, teacher, Stephen Venable, he says, in our hearts, we believe God exists for us, rather than us existing for him. In our hearts, we really think that God exists for us. We think that all of this, this whole grand idea, was so that he, he could touch us and he could just minister to us. When really God said, yes, I do want someone you know, that I can pour my spirit out of and someone that I can touch, but more than that, I want someone that can touch me too. I want someone that can can know my heart. I want someone who understands me. I want someone to minister to me as well. There's supposed to be this relationship, this fellowship of back and forth. And if, you know, if you've been coming to C3 for a while, you know the teachings on being a producer and not a consumer, right? When you become a member, you get that little booklet of the CDs on being a producer and not a consumer. And it's a great teaching. I'm so thankful for it. And, you know, and so we do that. We think, we minister, minister, minister. We join the K-Kids to teach them. We, we help in the nursery. We help clean the sanctuary. We help, um, you know, join a worship team. We help in the youth. We do all these things. We help set up events to evangelize the people. And then when it comes time for worship, we become such consumers. We produce for all the other people, but when it comes to worship, we think it's our time that I've produced so much for people I deserve for God to come and touch me. We think that we work so hard six days a week that this is, this is our spa, that we get to come and relax on Sunday morning, that, that when I come on Sunday, we come expecting God's going to touch me rather than I'm going to go to church and I'm going to touch God. And there's two mindsets that I like to kind of um, highlight whenever I talk about worship and especially the consumer mindset when it comes to worship. And the first one is when people, they say, oh, worship was good this morning. Worship was so good this morning, it really ministered to me. And I appreciate when people say that. I appreciate the encouragement of that, hey, the band did a good job. But if worship, it, worship is, is what your heart is responding to the Lord. So if you say worship is good this morning, you're saying, my heart is good towards the Lord, right? We don't, we don't really know what we're really saying when we talk about worship. We think that worship is based on the anointing in the room, right? Whether we're feeling it or not. That's the other mindset. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. And if, 
Man, I hear people say this all the time. I've been leading worship for seven or eight years now. And I hear people say this, even if it's not me leading or I'm just in, you know, some event where people are worshiping. I hear this one. And if you say this around me, I'll call you out right then and there because I really don't like this. But people say, I just wasn't feeling it. I hear people say that all the time. I just wasn't feeling it. You know, the anointing wasn't there. Is that what you base whether or not you're going to worship God on? If you're not feeling it, it's because you might have an issue in your heart. It's not because God didn't show up. But this is our mindset. This is what happens when we come into church. We wake up thinking, oh, I'm going to come and God's going to touch me. We have to flip that. We have to come and we have to touch God. Our song selection. When I was, you know, younger and in youth group, I based worship off of song selection a lot of times. They'd play a song that I really don't like and sometimes still play songs that I really don't like, but luckily the Holy Spirit helps mature us. And now when they play a song that we don't like, we can at least say, Lord, I might struggle through this a little bit, but I'm going to worship you anyways, right? Whether you like the worship leader or not, if that's what makes you decide whether or not you're going to worship the God of the universe, then shame on us. And it's really hard because we are, Adam is a priest, right? We know that Adam was made to be a priest in the sanctuary of God, right? The Garden of Eden. He's a priest. That's what he was made to do. Men were designed to be priests. And the posture of a priest is to minister to God. We're always told to minister to people, minister to people. I'm not saying don't minister to people. It's good that we minister to people. But because we do that so much, we've forgotten how to minister to God. Very rarely do we take the time to minister to the Lord's heart. Luckily, there's grace for us, and and he's patient with us. But so I want to take you through kind of the pattern of worship, because we see it in the beginning, right? We see it in Genesis 2.15. God establishes what he wants for us, right? He establishes this worship reality that we are here to minister to God, and he ministers to us. It's this back-and-forth thing. And because of the fall... There's a separation between God and man, right? That fall comes and, and this separation happens and the presence of God leaves and man is, is left in the, with death and this sin. But God's desire didn't change. His desire was still to have that thing. Just because the fall happened doesn't mean that God says, oh, I guess we'll give up on this whole worship thing. No, he still desires that. And so we see with Moses, he tells Moses, build a tabernacle, and, you know, he gives them the dimensions and what to put inside of it. And sometimes we read that, and we're like, we don't fully understand, like, the purpose of all of that, right? I've been trying to go through, like, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and it's really hard. And a lot of time I'm like, Lord, I don't understand the purpose of this. But there was a reason he had, he told Moses, build this tabernacle. He's trying to reestablish his original design on the earth through Moses, by building this tabernacle. And so I want to take you through that because there's a really cool progression that takes place here. So in the tabernacle, first what you do is you enter the outer courts through the gates. And we all know the verses, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with praise. So we come in with thankful hearts. We're wicked, but Lord, we're so thankful for your patience. We're so thankful, you know, that you have grace for us. 
We're so thankful that you didn't just give up on us, right? We come into the place thankful. And the first thing we encounter in the, um, in the outer courts is the brazen altar. And that's where they would put their sacrifice for the atonement of sins. They'd offer up a sacrifice or they'd put an offering there for the Lord. So we come in with thankful hearts and then we come to the place where we say, Lord, I surrender all of my thoughts, all of my ambitions, my, my dreams, my hopes, all my plans, everything that I want to do, Lord, I surrender it all right here. And so we completely empty ourselves. And then next, we come to the labor, which was for cleansing. So we've emptied ourselves, and now we, we allow ourselves to be cleansed by God. He's washing through us. We're being made new, right? We're being purified. It's a process of purification. And when we leave the outer courts, we enter the holy place where we encounter, there's a candlestick and there's the showbread. And that candlestick, it's, it's a lamp that's fueled by oil. It's the Holy Spirit fueling us. We've just emptied ourselves. We've rid ourselves of everything. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and fuel me. Come and take me again. And that showbread, that's the bread of life. It strengthens us. It builds us up, right? The whole point of this is that we're leaving something behind so that we can become more like God, right? So we can become more like this man, Jesus. That we can get back to the place of worshiping God in that garden experience. And just before you enter the Holy of Holies, there's the altar of incense, and it's intercession. And it's not just the intercession of us, but it's the intercession of Jesus as well, right? He's the high priest, he's, he's the high intercessor. And the point of this is that when you get into a place of intercession, we've rid ourselves of everything, we've been cleansed. We're filling up on the things of the Lord. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to fuel us. The bread of life, we're filling up on the right things of God. And we come to this place of intercession with Jesus. And what we're saying is, Lord, I'll partner with your heart. We're saying, Lord, it's not about me anymore. But, Lord, I'll partner with your heart. Whatever you want to do, let's do it together. See, this progression, it's all this progression of getting back to the place of what was happening between Adam and God in the garden. And so finally is where we, we come into the Holy of Holies. And when you come into the Holy of Holies, this is the place where you meet God. This is the place where his presence is manifest and you meet God. And I guarantee every single person who ever went into that Holy of Holies in that tabernacle fell flat on their face before the Lord and just worshipped him. So do you see the progression here? It, like I said, we can sing the songs of thanksgiving. We can sing the songs of praise. But ultimately, we should get to the point of worship where we're simply looking at God and overflowing out of our hearts towards him. That's true worship. Worship isn't just, I come in and I lift my hands and sing along. This does not equal worship. It's a good posture and it's a good thing. You know, it, for some people, it helps them to concentrate a little better. You know, it's not a requirement that when you worship, you have to close your eyes. But it's really all it is is that for some people, it helps them concentrate more. It's not some like spiritual secret that if you close your eyes, the anointing comes. It's just that we get a little ADD sometimes and we have to close our eyes. That's all it is. Those things don't equal worship. What equals worship is what's overflowing out of our hearts. And so there's this progression, right? Because nobody could just walk right into the Holy of Holies. Right? We lost that garden experience where we could just walk with God. We lost that. 
So this progression had to take place, right? You could, that's why they had the priests. The same way Adam was set to guard the sanctuary, the, the Garden of Eden, we had Levites who would guard the tabernacle because we couldn't let anything come in and defile the holy presence of God. That was supposed to be kept sacred, and so we went through that process of cleansing ourselves and becoming holy so that we could go back into the Holy of Holies. Why? Why is all this happening? Because it's what God wants. God wants us to dwell with him. And what's really cool is that throughout the rest of history, right, we see the same thing with David. God tells David, build a tabernacle, right? And he gives him the plans for the temple that Solomon would build. David didn't just have a good idea. Hey, let's set up a tent where we can worship God. Oh, good idea, David. No, it was God's idea from the very beginning. We see it in Genesis. This is God's big plan. This whole story of redemption it wasn't the original plan. It's not plan B, but it was, the original plan was all of this is so that we could dwell with God again. All of this is so that man and God can dwell together. And so we see, you know, we have the garden, we have Moses, we have David, we have Solomon, and then we have Jesus who comes. And I love in Matthew 6, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, right? We all learn that. It's in Matthew 6, and if you read through that prayer, it literally follows the progression of the tabernacle. Like, if you line those two things up and put them next to each other and you read through each one, they're in perfect alignment with each other. Why? Why is Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer this way? Why, is the Lord, why did Jesus make this prayer to be so similar to the tabernacle? Because it's his design. It's what he wants. This is his design from the very beginning. It's not just coincidence. It's not just all these guys happen to have a really good idea together. It is the Lord's design. It's what he wants. And so we see it, how the Lord has to keep reestablishing it on the earth, right? And the cool thing about Jesus is that he did make atonement for our sins so that we can have that holy of holies experience, right? We can just come boldly before the throne. We can have that experience where we dwell with God, the same experience Adam had with God, right? We can experience that on Sunday mornings. You can experience it every day in your house. And what I was thinking about, too, what's really cool is, you know, when Moses would go up on the mountain, right, the, the presence of God would come down on the mountain. And only Moses could go up there. The Israelites had to stay at the bottom because of their, their hearts. They were so wicked. If they were to go before the Lord, they would die. But Moses got to go, and he got to dwell with God on top of this mountain. And sometimes in worship, we like to be like the Israelites, and we'll, we'll stay at the bottom of the mountain, and we'll look at the glory. We'll look at what's happening, and we go, wow, that's really cool. And then we tell our friends about it. But we, very rarely do we get, go and step into the cloud. We're allowed to do that now. We don't have to stand at the base of the mountain. We can, go, we can go up the mountain with Moses. We can go and dwell in the midst of the presence of God. We can have that experience again. It's what we were made for. Sunday mornings we come and, you know, a lot of times we do this. We're expecting to receive something. But you will receive so much more by giving to the Lord, because it's the thing you were made to do. It's God's design. 
He said, you will be most satisfied when you worship me. That's how he made us, every single person. And so I love this, you know, with, um, we come up, we try to come up with all our own great ideas of how we're going to win the lost and how we're going to do this. And, you know, you can, you can go and get a master's in marketing. I don't, I don't care. It's not as good as the strategy God gives us. He says, lift my name up and I'll draw all men unto me. What if, what if on Sunday mornings, every church in Roseville lifted up the name of God? Don't you think the lost would start coming? But instead, we're all sitting here going, okay, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. He's here. Engage with him. And so, I, you know, we see it all throughout earth. The Lord is reestablishing it, reestablishing it, right? But while the Lord is trying to continually be reestablishing his design in the earth, it's always been going in heaven. It has always been going in heaven. Why? Because it's what God wants. If that's not enough of a reason for us, it's what God wants. And so in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night. In heaven, it's, they don't have time the way we have time here on earth. Day and night simply means for all of eternity. It means they literally do not stop. They don't take a break. They do not stop singing the song before the Lord. And it says that they're covered with eyes. We all have two eyes. They're covered with eyes. And yet they still don't have enough eyes to fully understand what they're looking at. The thing that they're looking at overwhelms them so much that they cannot stop singing about him. What do they see? What do they see? When's the last time we asked God, show me what they see? And, you know, every, I think everybody struggles at some point with the thought that heaven will be boring. I think everybody has had that thought at one point where they're going, we're just going to sing the whole time? Like... Do, do we get to, like, play games together? Or, like, you know, do we have, like, fellowship time? Like, we're just going to sing? Yeah, <laughs> you are. And God's not boring. This is the thing. If we had, if we could see what they could see, what is it that they can't stop singing this song to the Lord? God's not boring, but yet we have such boredom in our hearts when it comes to God. We sing songs that have these very words in them, and we sing them for five minutes, and we're like, move on already, come on, we got it, he's holy. No, you don't got it. <laughs> they sing it forever, and they still don't fully understand it. We're not as smart as we think we are. We don't have it all. We don't, we don't figure it out. That's the point, is that we can't exhaust the subject of Jesus. And the point that I want to make is that they're surrounding the center of the throne. What's in the center? The man Jesus. There's not a cross. They don't all circle around a cross, worshiping the cross. They don't circle around some symbol to represent God. They don't circle around financial blessing. They don't circle around favor. They circle around the man Jesus. 
It's the point of worship. It's who he is, not what he's done. Who he is. That's what their song exalts. Their song literally exalts who Jesus is. Holy, holy, holy. And so in Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. This is one of my favorite verses. In this cry that David has, he says, This is my one desire, Lord, to dwell in your temple all the days of my life, to gaze upon you and just talk with you. What is that desire? It's the desire that we were all born with. It's the desire that God made man with. David's cry is the same cry of Adam. It's the same cry of all of humanity. And it's the same cry in heaven. Because this is what God wants. Let's just sit and look at each other. Let's learn about each other. Let's talk. It's what he wants. And so we need to start falling in love with this man, Jesus. Sometimes we like to worship the blessing instead of the one who's giving the blessing, right? When, you know, when you look at, like, revivals and you study the history of those kinds of things, usually one of the things that you, you see that kind of makes them, you know, kind of dwindle out and fade away is because the people start to worship the manifestations instead of the one who's giving the manifestations. It's not that the manifestations are bad. They're good. They're really good. But what happens is we, we like those and they make us feel good. We experience them and so we come back expecting to always experience that. We come back with this expectation that God will always just touch me, touch me, touch me. We got to learn how to touch God. We got to learn how to fall in love with him again. And part of this is becoming fascinated with him. A lot of, We're not fascinated with God. You know? I mean, if you ask, you know, like what's your favorite thing to study? Not very many people would say God. They might say, you know, events in the Bible or things that God has done. But God himself, how many people actually study God? How many people take the time to get to know his personality? Because he is a man, right? He's a man, so he's got a personality. He has emotions. When's the last time we got to know those things? Rather than just what he's done for us. A lot of it is that we're so filled up with the things of this age that we can't become fascinated with God. The, the reason we think God is so boring is because we watch too much TV, we watch too many movies, we listen to music that has nothing to do with exalting the man Jesus. We spend so much time on the internet. We're so overstimulated by the things of this age that we don't, we're not fascinated with God. The one thing we were made to be fascinated with the one thing that is made to satisfy that fascination, longing, God. And that's hard. I'm not saying TVs, I'm not saying go home and smash your TV with a hammer. That's not what I'm saying. I love watching movies. Anyone in my family can tell you that. That is like, I just love to watch movies. I really do. But my husband and I, we ha there's times where we have to sit down and we have to say, okay, we can only watch one movie this week. Okay, we can only watch, you know, TV for this amount of time. And that's not legalism. That's not legalism to schedule time with God. I hear that all the time. You know, like if you say, you know, set time aside for God. Schedule out a time slot. People, that's so legalistic. No, if you're not doing that, you're probably just lazy. 
We got to schedule time to spend with God. We got to get fascinated with Him. We should be, that's where worship comes from when we are so filled up on the things of God that we just overflow in worship. It shouldn't be hard for us to worship God. It's what we were made to do. Like, that's the one thing that's ingrained in us to do, and yet it's so hard for us. Why? Because we're not filling up on the right things. And so how do we do this? How do we become fascinated with God? It's simply what Psalm 27, 4 says, is to behold him and to inquire of him. How do we behold him? For a lot of people, this is hard because, you know, a lot of people were very visual. We need something. Jesus, the man himself, is not here. That's hard for people to do. We don't understand, like, what do you mean look at God? He's not even, like, here, right? That's hard for people. But we've been given two amazing tools, the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And the two will never contradict each other. So how can we go wrong with that? So we behold him. We read about him in the Bible. I challenge you, something that I'm trying to do, it's, it's really hard, I won't lie to you, but I challenge you to do this, is read through the Bible from cover to cover and just highlight the emotions of God. Just find his emotions. Don't just read it to have a knowledge of it or to read it to just say, hey, I read through the whole Bible. But read it and study God's emotions. Become a student of God. Study who he is. Behold him. That's why I love the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he's literally preaching himself. He says this whole list of an attitude of all these actions. He's describing himself. So when we read those things, we can meditate on that. When we read the, the Sermon on the Mount, we say, blessed are the meek. Jesus, you're meek. And we go through and we just meditate on that. We meditate on Jesus' meekness. And I'm not talking just for five minutes until we get bored. I mean, we really push through and we meditate on who Jesus is. You will not be able to help but overflow with worship. And then we inquire in his temple. That's simply fellowshipping with God. Just talking with him. Just asking him questions. Right? Lord, you're so faithful. What about your faithfulness? You know, where were you in this situation? It felt like you weren't really there in this situation in my life, but I know you're faithful. Where were you? He'll answer you. He'll answer you. It might take time. I'm not saying you're going to get this today. I'm not saying you're going to get it this week, maybe not even this month. It takes time. But after a month, maybe a couple months, maybe a year, you're going to start to hear the voice of the Lord so clearly, and you will be so confident when you hear it. And it will become enjoyable. Sometimes reading the Bible is such a chore for us. But the more you do it, right, even, even in the times when you don't want to, the more you do it, the more enjoyable it becomes. Let's start to enjoy God. Let's enjoy Him. Let's become fascinated with the man so that when we come together on Sundays, we can lift Him up. I don't want to come every Sunday and just expect, you know, we're all singing me, 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 I, I, I. I mean, if you went through all the worship songs we sing, try and find one that doesn't mention you. It's very rare because we sing all these songs that are literally about us. We come to worship God and sing about us to God. That's messed up. We got to sing about God. We got to find who he is. And so I'm just going to pray real quick over us, and then we're going to get back into a time of worship because we really want 
I don't want to just preach this to you and then say, okay, go home and do it. No, let's do it right now. Let's get into a time of worship. Let's lift Jesus up right now. So I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would give us grace, Lord, to shut our TVs off, Lord, that you would give us grace to unplug the computer, Lord, that you would give us grace to just spend hours in your word, Lord. Five minutes here and five minutes there isn't enough for us anymore. We have to know who you are. We have to have you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you have done, but Lord, we want to know who you are. Lord, we want to know why you did those things. We want to know the man behind all of these events in history. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to be like the four living creatures. Teach us, Lord, more on your desire. Lord, show us what the four living creatures see. Fascinate our eyes again. Jesus, we love you so much. We love you, Jesus. Amen.